0: We're going through visiting. We've been going through Genesis, taking a few detours, but but sticking with Genesis, we're going to go to chapter 22 today. I'm going to read a story that's familiar, but I like to read the stories often, um, Scripture, instead of just overviewing them, because you know what? It's not Mark's word that changes hearts. It's God's word that changes hearts. And so we want to see what God has to say today. Genesis 22, we're going to read actually a really lengthy section of Scripture today, 19 verses. But in 19 verses, it tells an incredible story. So Genesis 22, starting in verse 1. Everybody there? All right, 22. It says, now it came about that uh, after these things that God tested Abraham. Now I know about you, but that word is underlined in red ink in my Bible. He tested, it really is. Um, it's, he tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey, I'm sure he couldn't sleep uh, with that thing, with with the Lord saying that, and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split wood for a burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. Verse 6, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and those exclamation point, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood and Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son but the angel of the lord called to him from heaven and said abraham abraham and he said here i am he said do not touch do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him for now i know that the fear of god that you fear god since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven, and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, indeed I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed, as the stars of the heavens is as the sand which is on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of the enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham turned to his young men, returned to his young men. And they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. What an incredible story. That's a lot of stuff packed in the 19 verses. A life-changing story. God one day comes up to Abraham, the patriarch, the man we've been looking at for week after week, and all these miraculous and incredible and challenging things that have gone through his life, and he says the most bizarre thing he's ever said to Abraham in Abraham's entire existence God had promised him you're going to have a son, promised him all kinds of things. You'll live in a land, all the land that you walk on will be possessed by your ancestors. All these incredible things God has spoken to him, but now God comes and he says to Abraham, take your son, your only son, and take him to a place that I'll show show you and kill him there and burn him on an altar. Take that son that was born to you when you were 100 years old and your wife was 90, that son of promise, that son that I said, you will have an heir coming through your own body. Not not of us, not your Eliezer of Damascus won't get your fortune, remember? We looked at that. And Hagar won't won't get it um, uh, through Ishmael. But your son, your very own son, through you and your wife, and here he has his son, and God says, take that boy of yours, that child of promise, and take him to a mountain that I'll show you, and stab him with a knife and burn him on an altar. So Abraham gets up early in the morning and he takes Isaac who according to we can look at the life, life of, the, of the patriarch and his son is probably about 13 years of old age. He's called a lad still, but he's about 13 years of age. And he goes off to the land of Moriah to a location, interestingly, that in the future would be Jerusalem. He goes off to the mountain. And as they go there to do the sacrifice, something that, that obviously he had done with Isaac a number of times, that after they drop off the men and the donkey and they continue on their way, Isaac asked a question. He knew what was up. So said, we're going for a sacrifice. He said so, Dad. He goes, you've got the fire and you've got the knife, but Dad, where's the lamb? Where's the lamb for the sacrifice? You know, sometimes we take these things out of real life context, but imagine the fact that this is real life, because it is, and a real man with a real son is walking down, the, down some gravel road up towards Mount Moriah with a torch in his hand and a knife in his hand, and his son is loaded with wood on his back. And they're going up the mountain, and his son says, Dad, where's the lamb? And I can't imagine what Abraham must have felt like because he knew that God had said, take your son, your only son, the son you love, on the mountain and sacrifice him there. And Abraham looks at Isaac, and with turmoil in his heart, he simply answers, God will provide. God God will provide. They climb up Mount Moriah and they get to the spot. It says the spot that God had told him to go to. So he knew exactly where it was. And he goes to the spot. And they get there. And I think Abraham walked to that spot and he expected to get there and see a lamb sitting there. And he gets to the spot and there's, there's no lamb. And so Abraham comes up to his son of 13 years old. And I've wrestled with a 13-year-old. They're kind of tough. And I wasn't 113 at the time. And he takes his son and somehow doesn't say anything about wrestling or fighting. And it says he begins to and he binds him, he ties him up. He takes a, a rope that he has with him and he begins to probably tie the, the hands and the feet of Isaac. And his Isaac has to be looking at his dad. He's a real boy, and saying, Dad, what in the world are you doing? Dad, why are you tying me up? And Dad, where's the lamb? Dad, what are are you doing? And Isaac and Abraham is is tying it up. And, And I believe as he's tying the boy's hands, he's saying this. I think he's probably, this is just the Mark Larson version. He's saying, I bet you, at least under his breath, but I think out loud, he's saying, God will provide. And he ties, God will provide. God will provide. It had to be his answer over and over, his declaration. God has done miracles before. God will provide. And he takes his son after he's tied up and he lays him on the wood that his very son had brought as he built an altar and put the wood on and He lays him on the altar and he begins to raise the knife. And I can't even imagine, certainly he's staring into the face of his son and his son is staring back at him. And he begins to lift the knife. And Isaac has seen this enough times. He knows exactly what's going to happen. And I can't even imagine the, the communication that's going on, even if it's not verbal, that they're looking at each other and he's saying, Dad, what are you doing? And Dad is saying, God, what are you doing? Because he lifts the, lifts the knife and an angel shouts. I bet you all the times that God spoke to Abraham, there's not one time in Abraham's life where he was more blessed to hear the voice of God. This is an angel of the Lord. And it's an exclamation point. It says, Abraham, Abraham, exclamation point. He shouts. So I think he's in mid-stroke. And he shouts and Abraham stops and he says, Amen, hey man, don't hurt the boy. He says, you've proven that you won't withhold anything from God. Abraham, you passed the test. And then all of a sudden, to the side, he's going, oh my goodness, I passed the test. And he looks, and there's a ram. And it's caught by its horns in the bushes. And he goes up to the ram, and he takes it out of the bushes, and he he slaughters it, and he burns it on the altar. And I bet you the boys, it says the young men that he left back with the donkey, they look and they see the smoke. And they understand he didn't oh, sacrifice, and they're thinking, a little while later they come walking down the hill. Father and son. Knife in hand, covered in blood, but not the blood of the son. The blood of the lamb, of the ram that God provided and as, as he looked at that mountain as he's getting ready to depart. He says to his son, we're going to name this place. You know what this place is? This place is Jehovah Jireh. You've heard us, you've sung it in songs if you've been saved for a while. We used to sing the chorus, Jehovah Jireh. What's it mean? My provider, the Lord will provide. And he says, that's what this place is called. The Lord will provide Jehovah Jireh. And they walked down the hill. And it's interesting how it changes. It says And they left and went back to Beersheba. They went home. But I want to tell you something. They went home changed. They went home changed. Abraham had passed the ultimate test. He'd been through enough tests in his life. But this was the biggie. He passes the ultimate test. And Isaac, understand, he was there, but think of what Isaac learned. He had seen firsthand God at work. He understood God doesn't always do things that way that makes sense. He understood, he saw God at work, and and he understood what it meant to walk in obedience because he looked into the eyes of his father as his eyes, I'm sure, filled with tears. He raises a knife and says, I've got to do what God told me to do. It doesn't matter what it costs me. He understood what obedience was all about. He understood how to have faith in a heavenly father and to trust him always and to know that no matter what, no matter how dark the circumstances, God will provide. He learned it all. What an incredible story. And friends, as we look at that story today, it's not a story just to read and say, oh, isn't this interesting history? That's a really cool story. Scripture's really clear. All those old, cool stories that God gives us in the word, he gives them to us to learn something from. And there's a bunch that we can learn from this story. Things that that I need to learn. Things that I'm still trying to learn. And if you ever think think you got to the end, you learned it all, friend, guess what? You can be 113 years old. God's given you a nation he's going to make out of you. He's given you all the land you put your feet on. And he says, buddy, you're 113. You aren't done learning learning yet. God has never stopped. I don't want him to stop. I don't want him to stop teaching us stuff. So he teaches them some things and some things that we need to learn. You know what the first thing I think that, that we need to learn from this story is that applies to you and me every single day of our lives? It's this. That just like Abraham, God will test our faith and obedience. And a lot of people don't like to think like that. Oh, God wouldn't do that. Yes, He will. Just like Abraham, God will test our faith and obedience. God put Abraham to a test. I think that's how it went. He says, well, Abe... You say that, you know what, you will obey me no matter what. You say I'm number one. You say you you really will follow me to the ends of the earth. And you've kind of shown it so far. You've left Ur of Chaldees and you've come to the promised land. But is that really so, Abraham? Am I really number one? He says, you know what, we'll find out. God put him to a test. Friends, God does the same exact thing to us. Now, maybe he doesn't call us to sacrifice our sons on a burnt altar. I'm awful glad about that. But he needs to see if we will do things his way. And Some of you need to listen to this today because you've never made sense to you before why God would test you. Because you think tests are bad. Tests aren't bad at all. He wants to see something. He wants to see if you'll do things his way or if you're going to do things your way. You know why he wants to see that? Because God wants to do miraculous things to every single one of us. And miraculous things only happen when we are willing to do things His way. You know what we can do our way? Man things. And some man things are extraordinary, but they're not miraculous. God wants to do the impossible. He wants to do the miraculous. And the miraculous can only happen through our lives when we are willing to go his way. One of the reasons I think we so rarely see the miraculous is we're so rarely willing to do it God's way. And he wants to find out, you know what, friend, are you really to do it God's way? So he tests us to see our development in obedience. To see, Mark, if I ask you to do it, will you really do it, even though it doesn't make any sense? Mark, are you going to trust my way or are you just going to do it your own way because you think you're smarter than we usually think we are? He tests us. Will we really trust and obey? Because if we don't really trust and obey, he cannot do the impossible through us. We can only do the humanly possible. And God wants to do miraculous things through his church, but it only happens if we go his way and we trust and obey. Now understand something about these tests. God tests us, but he doesn't tempt us. And there's a world of difference Between the two. And a lot of people mess it up. Mess it up. They'll say, oh, pastor, I fell in this way. And God just put a temptation before me that I couldn't couldn't bear. God says he would never do that. God doesn't tempt us. You know who tempts us? Satan. Satan tempts in order to try to get us to fail and to fall. Satan tempts us to get us off track. He tries to get us to focus on ourselves. Get us to focus on our lusts. He tries to get us to focus on those things that will ultimately lead us away from God and hinder our development and keep us from being usable so that God can do the miraculous through us. He doesn't look to just to destroy us, he looks to divert us. Just keep you from just keep you from letting God do the miraculous through you. That's all he cares. He says function in your little humanity. I'm not worried about that. So he tempts us. But friend God tests us to make us better. He tests us to take us higher. God doesn't want us to fail. He wants us to grow and develop so that he can advance us to the next level in our relationship with him and our spiritual walk so that he can work through us in ever-increasing ways all the time. He takes us from glory to glory. He wants us to develop and grow. And there are some things that God wants to accomplish in us and through us as he tests us. He tests us to to, to develop us, and it's the ways he does that. I think the first thing that God generally does, the thing that we see in the life of Abraham here in his testing of our lives, is that God wants to reveal to us. Yes, he knows it already. He wants to reveal to us who or what really is in first place In our lives. That's what he did in Abraham's life. He said, I want to test who or what is really in first place in your life, Abraham. And you know what he does? He tests us. Because he wants us to wrestle with whether or not we are really all in. Are we really all in? Have we really taken all our chips and put them all on the table? And said, this is a big bet. I'm putting all all of it I'm all in with God. Have we set um, in stone that following after Jesus is the number one thing in my world? Or is it kind of like maybe? He wants to test us so we understand for ourselves, is, are, am I really all in? Is he really in first place? And I was thinking about this. You know, He says, you know, am I a Christian pastor or a pastor that's a Christian? Am I a Christian businessman or a businessman that's a Christian? Am I a Christian housewife or a housewife that's a Christian? There's a big difference. He's saying, are you all in? That's one of the things a test shows. Abraham, are you really all in? The ultimate thing in your life is the fulfillment of this 100-year promise. You will have a son. Are you really all in, Abraham? Will you slaughter it to to show to yourself that I'm number one so that I can do the impossible through? I can start a nation out of which the Messiah will come, through which the entire world will be blessed? That's a pretty big big, uh, uh, path to follow. You better know you're all in. He puts us in circumstances where we have to choose, me or God. What's the priority? He puts us in that place. It's a test to reveal it so that we know if we're all in. And friends, this isn't a matter of salvation. It's not a matter of of saying, well, I have to prove this test. To be saved because we know that salvation is a free gift from God. The scriptures are clear. But by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not the result of works, so that no man may boast. It's not something you earn. This isn't about salvation. That comes a free gift from Jesus. This is about whether or not we're all in. So that God can take us higher and use us more. Over the years of pastoring, I've seen so many people struggle in this department. They struggle with their Christian walk because they they don't go all in. It, it, it's kind of part way in. It's kind of part way with Jesus, and they try to walk kind of in two worlds. And what I've watched is people try to walk in two worlds. And it doesn't work very well. It leads to incredible frustration. He wants us to be all in. I was reading. I was wrestling with this the other day, as I was reading my my Bible just as my daily devotions. You know, I get up in the morning and I grab my Bible and I read through it, through the Bible and I'm I'm reading and I came to the book of Romans. It was this last week. And it was I got to Romans and I read Romans one and I couldn't go any further than Romans one. Now it's kinda of tough on your devotions, but you get to the very first word, for very first sentence, and you can't go any further. You know, you're not gonna it's hard to read the Bible in the year that way. But God's not so interested in reading the Bible in the ear. He had something to say to me out of Romans chapter one, verse one. The very first verse. See, Apostle Paul, he's just giving an explanation of who's writing the letter. He says, I'm Paul, the apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Set apart for the gospel of God. He said, you know what, I'm Paul. This is, the, this is today's vernacular. I'm Paul, the apostle. I'm all in for God. It's all, it's all about him. I'm set apart. It, I'm all in for the gospel for God, for the preaching of the gospel. I couldn't move on when I read that. I thought, Paul was set apart. He was taken out of his pre- previous existence, and he was set apart for the, for the one sole purpose of the advan- advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That was his identity. That was his purpose. And I honestly sat in my, in my devotions that morning sitting on the, on the couch in the living room in my bathrobe. You don't have to try to imagine that. <laughs> Beginning to too late. I began to ask myself, regardless of what other people may think of me, am I really set apart? Am I really all in? Regardless of, oh, well, you planted churches, you revitalized churches, you went to a, as a missionary to a third world country, you're all in, buddy. If anybody's all in, you're all in. And I sat there and said, God, I'm not sure I'm all in. I think Abraham thought, I'm not sure I'm all in. I don't know if I can do this. Am I really set apart? Or am I divided between my pursuits and my interest in God's pursuits and his interests? Friends, this is what God tests us to help us to really figure out who or what is in first place. Am I all in? Am I really set apart? You know, Abraham may have said before that test that God was number one. But that was proven. To be true, once he obeyed and was willing to sacrifice what was most precious to him, his one and only son. Everybody knew. I had a sacrifice Isaac encountered once. No matter of fact, I've had a bunch of sacrifice Isaac encountered, but once in my early Christian life. As I was reading this, it was such an appropriate time for the Lord to bring it back to my remembrance. God wanted me to know, Mark, what's really first place in your life? What really matters most to you? And he was saying it, so Mark, I want to advance you in your spiritual walk. I want to take you further and deeper and higher than you are right now. And I need to find out, and you need to find out, who's really first place in your life. And I was reading this exact text in my devotions from Genesis 22 about the sacrifice of Isaac. And as clear as a bell, the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me and he said, Mark, sacrifice Isaac. And in my spirit, somehow I knew exactly what God meant to when he said it. You see, I was sold out to something and something that won't make a whole lot of sense to you. But I don't understand how somebody can still be sold out to scrapbooking or or um, golfing or or uh, working excessively or sold out to whatever, reading books. I was sold out to hunting. It's deer season, right? Today, day two, of gun deer season. And I was sold out to that. And God wanted to find out, Mark, who's really in first place. And I prayed to the Lord and I said, what do you want? I felt he said, put your gun, put your bow away and don't use them anymore. For six years. Six seasons of not buying a license. Six seasons of letting my brother sit in my tree stand and shoot my (laughs) deer. And it means nothing to some of you. It means a whole lot to some of, some of the rest of us. And for six years, I never took a bow or a gun out of a case. And it was the six years that are your, could be your most productive because I was in my early 20s, and I had lots of energy, and I was willing to get up earlier, go in deeper, hunt longer than anybody else, and get the big one. And God said, sacrifice Isaac. And I knew exactly what he meant. I was one of these crazy guys who take vacation and sit in a tree eight hours a day on vacation to hit shoot one particular buck. Pass up all the rest of them because you're hunting a certain one. And God said sacrifice Isaac. And I found something that was like taking a very like taking my ability to breathe out of me. It was something that I thought about all the time, something that was part of my life. And some of you say I don't get it, but again, I don't get how you can stay up till midnight scrapbooking. It makes no sense to me. Suzanne got out of bed two nights ago, because we were gone, at 2.30 in the morning, because she could not sleep because she was thinking about decorating the house for Christmas. My niece refers to me as Uncle Scrooge, because I'm always like, she really does, because I never care about putting lights up. You know, who cares? I couldn't care less. I couldn't care less. That's the honest to God truth. I couldn't care less. And I saw some of you thought about what my God was, but my idol or my God was something that I'd been bred to do from the day I could walk. And it was what I was taught to be. And God said, Mark, I want you to get rid of it. So I quit for six years. I didn't pick up a gun or a bow. And then after six years, I moved to a new location, and and it was really interesting because the new location was the place with a church plant in the upper peninsula of Michigan, and God really led me to the way I would build that church, the way that church was built, was through hunting and fishing. And I said, God, can I hunt again? Oh, I've got to tell you a story. I wasn't planning on this. It just dawned on me right now. Suzanne always says, Mark, whenever that happens, don't tell the story. But I'm going to. I asked God, can I hunt again? And I felt like he said, Mark, keep. I think you can keep it in line. You can go ahead and hunt again. And so my very first time, there was a, a guy who's now in a of God missionary. He lived in the UP, and we were friends, and we said, let's go hunting together. It was both season opening a bow bo- bo- deer hunting. And he didn't know diddly about what he was doing. He thought he did. And he says, oh, I got some stands set up. Well, it was ridiculous. Crash through the deep, dark woods, chase every deer away in the pitch dark. It was a total waste of time. Got in an area, it was just terrible. Like, there's not even a deer track. Why are we going to hunt here? You know, we, sat, we saw exactly what I thought we were, zero. And we get in the truck and we're driving out. This is way back in the boonies in the UP. And we're driving this pickup and our bows are in the back. And a deer runs across the road in front of us. It's a sort of dirt road. And it runs down into the woods. And we drive, and there's a crossroad, and it's standing down there. Now, this might not mean a lot to you, but I paced it off later. It was 53 yards. And I hadn't shot my bow in six years. at a deer. I opened the target, and I said, stop. <laughs> and I got out of the car, and the deer stood there. And I walked to the back of the truck, and I opened up the back, and the deer stood there. And I took out my bow, and I put on my re- release, and the deer stood there. And I walked to the front of the truck, and the deer stood there. And I said, move the truck back a little bit and back the truck up. I said I have a perfect shot and it's down the road and I'm saying okay, forty-five yard pin, that thing's just over fifty yards, and I put that forty-five yard pin right over his back and I killed that baby at fifty-three yards. Boom! And it ran off and died. Now you told the little moan, oh the poor deer. Um, <laughs> no poor deer nothing (laughs) I had 106 years and I made the world famous greatest shot on the planet you know I've never taken a shot that long again never would recommend it I think it was a if there was ever a spirit guided arrow in the history of the world it was that arrow flying through the air and that deer literally stood there and watched the arrow come whack and uh, and I shot my first UP deer with a witness who's now a credentialed minister and that's why I say he's a missionary missionaries don't lie usually you know what friends there's an important lesson to be learned here through the laughter it's this we have to learn that you have to give up to go up you got to give up to go up God will have you sacrifice your Isaacs if they compete for lordship in your life I had an idol in my life that needed to die the reason it needed to die is because it was keeping me from advancing with the Lord. It was more important to me than anything else. And friends, God wants each of you to advance, you know, in his kingdom. And he will test you to see if you will sacrifice your Isaacs along the way so that your life is filled with what's best instead of filled with just what's always been there. Sometimes what's always been there is pretty nice, but God's got something so much better. Sometimes He says, sacrifice the Isaacs. And your Isaacs look totally different than sitting in a tree. Suzanne's like, You're a nut. Sit in a tree, freeze to death, and don't move, and eat beaten by mosquitoes. She's like, You're insane. And I said, Well, sometimes I think I am. But friends, you know what? You all have them. God wants you to sacrifice them. So we see that God uses testing to reveal what's really in first place in our lives. You know what? Let's move on. There's another thing, really important thing, that God accomplishes through testing. In addition to finding out who's in first place, and this is is critical for your spiritual development, he causes us through testing to be refined. He causes us through testing to be purified and refined. God uses tests and trials to refine us like gold that is refined by fire. Take your Bibles and flip to the book of 1 Peter the very first chapter. It's all the way near the end of your New Testament. You're in the beginning of the Old Testament. Flip way to the back of the Bible. First Peter. It's after James. First Peter. He talks about this. First Peter chapter one, verse six and seven says this. It says, In this you greatly rejoice. Even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Anybody feel like they've been distressed by various trials? Okay, Pastor Bruce said a lot of people said it a tough week. If necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Verse 7, so that... This is why. So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable... Even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's it say? Our faith is like gold, more better than gold. God uses trials to refine us like gold is refined by fire. God turns up the heat in our lives. You ever feel like that in a test or trial? That's what it feels like? Somebody turned up the heat? He turns up the heat in our lives because it is in the middle of the trial, in the midst of the heat, that our true nature and our true feelings are revealed. And that's the word you want to focus on. They're revealed. When you turn up the heat, it's what bubbles to the surface that is revealed. That's how they refine gold. They turn up the heat and all the junk comes to the surface and they ladle it off. That's what the reference is to here. He turns up the heat in your life and things bubble to the surface. Friends, if we're in the middle of a difficult test and something rises to the surface, it comes out of our mouth. It comes out of our hands. It comes into our minds. It rises to the surface, and that thing is improper or impure. That's God doing it. He turns up the heat so that that thing rises up, and that's when God can help you. You say, how come I failed again? You didn't fail again. God was revealing something to you so you can identify it and then remove it by the strength of His Spirit. He does it to make you better. He puts you in a test. Oh, God tested me and I failed. Wrong. God puts you in a test to reveal the impurity so you could, by His Spirit, have it removed to make you better. You know, you find yourself in a trial. The heat's turned up. What bubbles to the surface? Anger, violence, you know, self pity, vulgarity. What comes out? It comes out. The reason he turns up the heat is so that you can identify it and remove it and get better. Church, it's in the trials that we grow, excuse me, <coughs> that we grow and we are refined. That's when our true selves are revealed. Not revealed in the easy times, We're revealed in the struggles. It's when our true self Is revealed, and and sometimes it's not a pretty sight. Sometimes it's not very flattering. But you know what? It's an opportunity for growth. And, friends, if God didn't take us through the tests, then that junk on the inside would not be exposed, and we would just stay the same and never grow in godliness or faith. But because he wants us to grow, and he wants us to grow so he can use us for greatness, he turns up the heat so that inside the junk is exposed. And when it's exposed, then he can by his spirit come and help us to remove it like a person purifying gold would scoop it away. That's why Peter, in writing the book of 1 Peter, says, you know what? He's glad when you go through trials because the end result is worth it. We become better. And when we become better, we become more useful in the hands of God. You want to be more useful to God? Then you know what? Don't despise the tests. And here's the tough thing. God didn't say to Abraham, I'm testing you. We read it and say it, Abraham tested God. But God didn't say to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to test you to see if you'll really do this. Now go take your son and sacrifice him. God just said, Abraham, go kill your son. He didn't recognize at the moment that he was being tested. We almost never recognize at the moment that we're being tested. But if we can walk through life and when the heat's turned up and maybe junk is coming out we don't like and recognize, wait a minute, this is an opportunity. God's turning up the heat in my life to remove the junk because I don't want to act this way again. We get the victory then. He wants to make us better. He wants you to be better. Some of you say there's not anything God can do in you that's worthwhile. But, Pastor, you don't know my background. You don't know my limitations. Guess what? God does, and he doesn't care. He made you on purpose. He loves you the way you are. And if you will walk in obedience with him, he'll use you to do great things. Why do you think he says the last will be first? Why do you think he delights in taking those things that are not and making them as they were? He likes to take people like me and you who don't have so much on the ball. I'm a one-talent guy, and most of you are one-talent people too. That's it. Some people have ten. I'm not Bill Gates, and neither are you. But guess what? I don't have to be. Because all I've got to do is say, God, turn up the heat and make me better. And as you make me better, you learn to listen. And he says to a, some guy who couldn't even get it right, God is trying in Abraham's life to bring a child to him, and two times in his life, he gives his wife away. He says, be through your wife. Oh, give her away. Read the story. The chapter right before this. The promise of be He gives his wife away again. Trying to mess it up. God doesn't use the brightest. He uses the obedience. Right? He doesn't often. I have no qualms with that. I met a guy recently, just a, a man of God when I was in L.A. Just a wonderful man of God. He's the number one voice to Muslims in the world on Muslim radio in over, overseas. And I, I got his book. I can't remember his name. If you're curious about it. Get you his book and tell you. But I'm Jack Hayford introduces them. Jack Hayford's a brainiac, genius IQ, brilliant man, and he brings this other guy and they went to college together. They've both done extraordinary things for God. And the guy looks at him and goes, I'm not like him, because I'm not that smart. He's just I'm a simple man full of the Holy Ghost. That's what I am. I said, Man, if you could say something about me and my tombstone, I'd like that to be on there. I'm not there yet. There's a few more tests to walk through. were we there's one more thing that happens during times of testing that I want to look at he refines us he shows us who's number one and some of you need to hear this last one today in testing during testing that God proves that he will provide for us as we trust him through the test that God proves that he will provide as we trust him and walk in obedience through the test. Abraham obeyed God's instructions, and God provided the ram for the sacrifice. Abraham believed that somehow God would provide, even um, though the situation seemed hopeless, and we absolutely know that's true because the book of Hebrews, writing about this situation, tells us that Abraham believed that God would take care of the situation, even if it meant raising Isaac from the dead. He was ready to plunge a knife into his son. He was so convinced God would provide somehow that it says in the book of Hebrews about this that even if it meant that he would kill him and he would raise from the dead, he knew God would provide. Friends, we've got to be like that. You need to know that God will provide for you when you walk in obedience. If you need strength, God's going to provide it. If you ask. If you need freedom from something that a trial or a test reveals, you're putting a pressure and junk comes out. The reality, the vulgarity, the the vileness comes out. Something the way you treat your spouse or your children comes out you don't like. God reveals it. God will give you the strength and the abilities to overcome that. He will provide. If you need a healing, God will provide it. If you need an answer, God will provide it. If you need finances and you walk in obedience, you need a job, God will provide it. How many times, Pastor Bruce, are people saying, I can't believe it, I got a job. I heard a story this morning of a man who just moved here. And he said, God, if you want me to stay, get me a job. And in one day, he got a job. You know what? God provides in the middle of the test. And when God provided for Abraham, you know what he did? He named the place. He said this, place. For anybody else, they may call it Mount Moriah. But that mountain, that's called Jehovah Jireh for me. The Lord will provide. He named the place. And friends, I really want you to hear this today. Just maybe God has you in a situation right now where he will provide miraculously for you as you walk in his way, as you walk in obedience. And when that happens, you need to name that place. You don't have to call it Jehovah Jireh, but you need to somehow remember it. You need to somehow write it down. So the next time the test comes and it seems impossible again, you say, you know what? You see that mountain over there? It's that situation in my life. I remember climbing that mountain. That mountain's Jehovah-Jireh. And that place God provided for me. That's where the Lord provided before, and I know that he'll do it again. Believe me, friends, every single time Abraham and Isaac faced a test after that day, they began to scan the horizon. They go, now which way is it? Oh, it's that way. You see that hill over there, buddy? Let me tell you a story about on top of that hill. I didn't know how it was going to work out. I was going to kill him. But God provided him a ram in the bush. You've got to write it down, friends. You've got to remember it. One of the greatest blessings of a test is when it's over, you can look back. You can't look forward, but you can look back. And you look back over the test, and you see with hindsight the hand of God at work on your behalf. And you find out that he really is your Jehovah Jireh. Because the Bible says he's no respecter of people. If you provide for Abraham and will provide for me, he'll provide for you. Because he's your provider. You walk in obedience. Jehovah Jireh. Your provider. My provider. Tests are the way you say, I hate tests. Don't hate tests. Don't despise him. Because if he didn't bring you to the place where you needed a provision. You never get to see the miracle. That makes sense. So God takes us through tests. Maybe if you're like me, you have Genesis 22 underlined. The only thing it was interesting when I came to it, the only thing on this whole page underlined, I always underline, is tested. Because at some point that I looked at that and said, I don't like that. He tested Abraham cause I Could I can put my name in there. Now it came about after these things that God tested Mark. Put your name in there. Why does he do it? He doesn't do it because he's mean. He doesn't do it because he doesn't love you. exactly the opposite. He wants to reveal to you is he really number one because he can't do miraculous things in your life unless he's number one. He reveals to you all the junk that doesn't belong because he wants to get you in a place where he can use you to do the miraculous and he takes you to the spot of the test where he's going to have to buy the ram. Whatever that ram in your life is, so that you can name that spot. Say, so that's Jehovah Jireh over there. And you call it Mount Moriah, call whatever you want. I call it Jehovah Jireh. i got all kinds of Jehovah Jirehs in my life. So I, sometimes you get tired of them, I tell stories to you. Those stories are just my Jehovah Jirehs. I remember one. Fifty-three yard deer in the middle of the UP woods That place is called Jehovah Jireh because its stakes were great. Standard was mine.